0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
1: The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is.
0: Learn more at meta.com/slash
2: metaverse impact.
0: For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com/slash partners in crime media.
2: I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, an Indianapolis man is convicted in a street shooting he didn't commit. His defense team and a podcaster join up to prove his innocence. We'll talk about season 3 of Suspect, 5 Shots in the Dark. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of "These Are Their Stories" podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hey, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of cozy mysteries, Laura Bricker. Hi, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our resident Doubting Thomas, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hi, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. So I just want to tell our listeners, if my voice does sound a little bit not great, it's because I still have the COVID. Uh, I will be better next time. I all promise. this
3: time later. Yes.
2: I know all this time later through the magic of teleportation. I still have the COVID. All right. So, Kevin, what is happening on a future programs on Crime Writers on?
3: Yeah. Later this week, we're going to have a classic rewind. We're going to be going back to our original discussion on the classic podcast, Crime Town. Crime Town. See where we are on that. Um, also, next week we're going to be talking about the new podcast from Serial Productions. It's called The Retrievals. Man. Also, also, we'll be recording that live for our patrons on uh, Patreon.
2: It's so interesting thinking back, like through the podcast, like uh, time lens, right? Crime Town was made by Gimlet, which no longer exists, mm-hmm. and Serial uh, Productions is now owned by the New York Times, right? Yeah. So it's just like so interesting, interesting that they see these two things juxtaposed against each other, for me anyway, as a podcast industry watcher, you know? All right. So is there anything else you want to chat about, Kevin, before we start the show?
3: Well, I was just really surprised from last week's after show about uh, your mother's predictions regarding the Long Island serial killer.
2: Mm, and how close she was.
3: It's so weird.
2: Yeah. Oh, I remember when I cornered her at the bookstore. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And she told you all about the fact that she thought one of my stepdad's yes. friends was the Island serial killer. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Turned out it wasn't him.
3: Surprising. But, but, you know, sometimes with those horseshoes, you can get close enough.
2: You can get closer than you think. No. That's no. all I got to say. <laughs> Mom. I shouldn't have made so much fun of you, Mom. All right. Um, I think we should talk about what we're going to talk about because we're talking about a franchise that's pretty close to my heart. Should we go ahead and get that done, Kevin? Let's
3: talk about what we're going to talk about.
2: All right. Let's talk about Suspect. Season three, Leading Off.
3: To be not believed is not to have worth. So now I'm like, what, you don't believe me? Look, my word ain't nothing, but I ain't good. Because when people don't believe you, it make you feel alone.
2: Leon Benson says he's innocent of the 1998 murder of Casey Shane, who was shot in his truck in Indianapolis. Despite his alibi, no motive, and a lack of physical evidence, Leon was convicted based on a cross-racial identification from 150 feet away at night.
3: I have to say that was one time that face literally jumped off that paper at me. (laughs) I mean, it, it was basically went right back to that night. And I don't, I don't doubt one bit that I that I made a false accusation about it or anything else.
2: Attorney Lara Bazelon looks for clues to winning Leon's exoneration. Was evidence about alternative suspects withheld? And should Bazelon's team approach the man they believe actually pulled the trigger?
1: Is it a good idea for Charlie and me to go to Florida with our investigator and knock on his door to see if he'll talk to us? Oh fuck
3: no.
2: Suspect Five Shots in the Dark is season three of the acclaimed series from Campside Media and Wondery. In a break of format, host Matt Scher works with Bazelon in a side-by-side effort to clear Leon's name. Will the one-two punch of lawyers and podcasters get him out of prison? And what does correcting this wrong mean for the victim's family? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about significant spoilers from Suspect, Five Shots in the Dark. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. Now, regarding those significant spoilers, Kevin, we should mention... We have heard the whole series.
3: Yeah, it's available now on Wondery Plus. Yes. And now uh, it's coming out on all the major platforms. Yes,
2: and we also should say this case has been in the news. So, like, the, there's two things. There's two ways that you can get caught up on the significant spoilers – I would just recommend listening to the podcast if you can. Uh, anyway, that's just my recommendation. So, Toby, one of the interesting things about Matt working with Lara, and they don't say it specifically in the podcast, but I'm assuming that that's what's happening here, is that he gets to sit in on her client meetings between her and Leon, which is not typically what a journalist gets to do when they're covering a story. And so we get to meet Leon when he's still in prison and he zoom calls. What do you think about him when we first hear from him and he's in this very dire situation with basically no hope of getting out?
4: Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things that kind of makes the podcast, right? Is that Leon is a very sort of attractive, distinctive person. He's, incredibly upbeat given his uh his lot in life and and what his expectations are at the time it, it kind of struck me and it, it obviously struck the the podcast makers too he has this like take on the myth of Sisyphus that's a little bit unusual and most people probably know the myth of Sisyphus but it's this guy who's like pushing a rock up a hill and the rock gets bigger and bigger and bigger and before he can get all the way up the hill it gets too big and it's just rolls back down again and he's sort of fated to do it day after day after day after day
0: his rationale was something like this hey at least sisyphus has a stone
3: at least he knows where he needs to go and that was leon too after each defeat in court he'd say hey i can still push and in those moments you know doing these things i'm pushing my stone like i told you before I'm like, man, I got to do these appeals. Yeah, Toby, you're right. Like, Leon does have, like, this really fantastic attitude as an inmate. It reminds me of folks like, you know, Leo Schofield, Anand Syed, Suave. Like Curtis this, Flowers. Curtis Flowers. I mean, do we hear a lot from Curtis while he was in
2: prison? No, but we've, we've heard from him since. And he definitely Of course, is, of yeah. course.
3: But, you know, when we're introduced to certain inmates that are fighting for exoneration, they become these people that are like oh like we really become drawn to because they're warm and interesting and i'm kind of wondering about if the next time the guy we get who is deserving of an exoneration is also a huge asshole uh <laughs> and sort of the whole fuck the world thing like are we gonna still feel the same way for them and and, and cheer for them in the same way in a way i don't want to say that you know, in the same way that like we wonder about whether or not money buys you a whole different system of justice, I kind of wonder about whether the more charismatic inmates are the ones that get the podcast treatment. But hey, that's not a knock on Leon for being a hell of a guy. You know, being very engaging and uh, someone who does not deserve to be in prison
2: i'll tell you i'm very moved when i hear anger too from you know people in this situation i think one of my most moving quotes for me from um jason carroll from Bear brook season two is when he said uh i'm tired of being talked about like i'm some fucking kind of animal like he's so mad and i'm like that's exactly how i would be if i were in this situation like <laughs> it's like you i how do you not be mad all the time it's incredible yeah, to me yeah. you know who is mad though all the time though Lara is Lara Bazelon. <laughs> That woman's mad all the fucking time. What do you What do you think about her? I love it. I I
1: love it. I love. First of all, there's somebody else whose name is spelled the same as me, and they're mad all the time. I'm like, it's like perfect. It's uh, my ideal thing. But I love how she gets involved in this case, and you know, as somebody that works in the defense world, when you hear somebody that's that passionate about wrongful conviction and getting somebody exonerated and holding people accountable the way she
2: is like rock on Laura from one Laura to another, you know, I think one of the great examples of character development that, um, in Matt chair, it just like is so good at this type of thing with his shows in particular. There's this, the scene at the beginning of the podcast where we meet her and she's making her stupid lunch with her, uh, two eggs plus three egg whites plus two sausage patties plus you know the same thing first of all i'm like the real mystery of this podcast is where all the yolks go okay that's (laughs) fucking 21 Mm -hmm. yolks a week what does she do with them but the whole idea that she's making it on this pan that has no non-stick surface left and i'm just like you can just imagine this like and she's a she doesn't she's like, my fear of being taped is that I'm just going to be so angry all the time. And you just imagine her just like scraping this nonstick pan until like the nonstickness <laughs> comes off. And it's just <laughs> such a great like scene setting um, and character development for be- her. And PFAS
3: has all the great flavor. Too. Yes.
2: And then later you hear her in the classroom with her, um, you know, the students doing the mock trial thing and like they do it and she's praising them but she's so in the moment mad about the thing that happened years and years ago with the lawyer like she's just so immediately like she gets as mad as like a listener to a true crime podcast would get about something and this is her fucking job like she's not dispassionate about it in any way I'm like having an existential moment like
1: do you <laughs> yeah. do you not see how bankrupt this case was so bankrupt like how could you bring this case if you are a prosecutor knowing what you know I just I just
2: Oh, my God, they threw this man's life away. One of the things that we hear, Toby, and I'm not sure if the podcast delivers on it, is that we are going to get this real-time investigation. And I think the nature of communication in the era that we are in today makes that difficult, plus the distance that Matt and Laura have between each other. Um, Do you think the podcast delivers on sort of this TikTok real-time setup that we're promised at the beginning?
4: Uh, No. Like, I don't know why they said it was like that, because... They experienced it that way, but I don't think listeners really experience that way. I mean, it's it's clearly everything has taken place by the time they start this podcast, right? I mean, at least it seemed that way to me. Is that everything had happened before they put out the first episode? There's not anything that's really up in the air when the thing starts running, and we we have listened to other podcasts where things have been up in the air and they either get resolved or not during the course of the podcast, generally not. So I don't think it's a bad choice to make to not do it uh, as it's happening. But when you say that it's going to be in real time, like I think my assumption is that means like i'm going to find out about what you just did like what you did this week i'm going to find out about on tuesday and then the next tuesday i'll find out about the previous week and that's not what what's happening here at all so i don't really understand why they make that claim cuz this isn't much different from a whole bunch of other podcasts in that respect
2: another claim that gets made kevin is that there's going to be this um sharing of work and sharing of tape and sharing of hosting yeah and um i kind of was under the impression that we were going to be sort of weaving back and forth a little bit more than we were. Do you think that this breaks format as much as you thought it was going to break format hearing at the beginning of the show?
3: Yeah, I, it didn't break as much as I thought, right? I mean, it does break the format by having Laura Bazelon be credited as like the co-host because in a way she's a source and you don't generally um, elevate a source to a hosting role. Our presentation role it does kind of make me wonder about what kind of editorial input she had besides being listed, and that sort of. There's that one scene where she goes to talk to the cop that she takes over, and and that's great. But it does open up a conversation just about like how much innocence lawyers do and do not work with podcasters, and how much the podcasters rely on the lawyers for like story selection and access. She really doesn't host much. But it is a sort of behind-the-scenes thing about how do these stories, these cases get selected. And it's usually because a lawyer has done a lot of the heavy lifting already. I mean, even with In the Dark Season 2, that legal team had already identified Curtis Flowers as, you know, somebody who was potentially wrongly convicted and did a lot of the work that got Madeline going in her own direction as well, right? It's hard to kind of distinguish here what happens because I think that there are probably different expectations going into a project like this for the legal team, what's going to be the final product and what the journalist is going to be. And in the way where we always say that you have to betray either your subject or your audience here that either Matt has to come up with ways that will be honest to the point that it's not flattering anymore to the legal team and betray them. Or it ends up just doing kind of, you know, what is in the best interest perhaps of the legal case that may not be in the best interest of the story and betraying the audience. So I don't have an answer on to what this should be or whether or not she should have been listed as a host or whether the level of input and editorial control is the proper amount, but it does start making you think about the ways that these two entities throughout podcasting throughout all this genre about how they're working together and what they expect to get from one another and what they give up by going that route
2: I'm looking at I'm thinking about journalists who like an opposite end of the spectrum right Madeline Bear and Jason Mood are on one end like just journalists they're not even like Saying in the podcast if they're, if they even have an opinion about the innocence or guilt of the person whose story they're telling, right? On the other end of the spectrum, we have Gilbert King who's now, who's covering it as a journalist and is now just fucking full in, like he's in love with Leo and like they're like brothers now, and he's like fully fighting for him to get out. He's like all for the cause, become an advocate, right. I don't think Matt is becoming an advocate here. He's just allowing the advocacy. And the journalism to live together in the space together. And I think it's an interesting experiment. I'm just not sure it fully delivered on the experiment. Like I don't know if I heard the blending of the two, like back and forth at all, except near the end. And it was very much just many episodes of us hearing what happened, the journalism part, and then Laura came in much later. Yeah, and the
3: crosstalk doesn't sound like two hosts. It I sounds liked, like Matt's still interviewing. I would have liked
2: it. to hear more of like the Looney interview type stuff earlier on mm-hmm. to sort of get more of what was happening inside, you know, like the classroom scene, for instance, was so interesting. I would have loved to have heard more of that throughout. And, and just During the mock trial, yeah, just to fulfill that promise. You know what I mean? That's just my opinion.
4: Would you have known that this experiment was kind of happening if they hadn't set it up front?
1: No, 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 no. And I, I think honestly, what my takeaway was of it, it was almost like we're putting this up front like this because we were able to access a lot more information about this case because of the relationship we had with Laura and her team. So because of that relationship, we're going to describe this differently in the opening. But I mean, I liked it. And I liked all of the information that we had access to, but it, it, it still felt more like the partnership that they're describing was more just a really reciprocal Sharing of information as opposed to co hosting, if that makes sense. I think it felt different to the journalists.
2: And so they yes. thought it would feel different to us.
4: Yeah. I don't know why they felt the need to set those two things up because they're not like they're not apparent. You know, I don't know why it was like this unprecedented partnership and then it's going to be in real time. The only reason why you're even kind of aware that that might be a possibility is because they say it ahead of time and it doesn't feel like they really deliver, so why even say it like they could have just not said it, and then this would have been a perfectly fine podcast, and you wouldn't be wondering like what the hell like this isn't this isn't real time anyway i mean i, I again, it doesn't like ruin the podcast or anything, but It's just strange
2: the fact that we're talking about it is interesting,
3: yes. Yeah. And it doesn't ruin the podcast to pause and say, this is the business section. This is the it business depends section. Depends on who you ask, Kevin. Yeah. Well, Toby, uh, I know we know how much Toby just loves the music. He loves the business section <laughs> Just <laughs> so loves doing it so much. doing a little so dance. Much. Doing the dance? Yes, he is. Okay. So right now on patreon.com slash partners in crime media, you can get all sorts of great stuff. You can get all of our new episodes of Crime Writers on early and ad free. You'd already know what our thumbs up, thumbs down review is of Suspect Season 3, if you did. We have great stuff, including...
2: You already would have heard this.
3: You already would have heard this.
2: Oh my God, that's like a real mind blink, isn't it? It's like, you already would have heard this if you did the thing we're telling you to do right now.
3: Yeah, that's real time. We're incepting. We're incepting it. Later today, if you're listening listening on Drop Day on Monday, later today, Toby is recording uh, the the next episode of The Deep Dive, and he's doing that... Uh, with great guests like Claire Clark, Alex Segura, and Lauren Bright Pacheco, Toby, what is the book that you're going to be discussing?
4: It's *The Stranger Beside Me* by Ann Rule, a doorstop of a book about Ted Bundy, who she actually worked at a suicide hotline with.
2: I that doorstop of a book is Toby's code for I haven't finished it yet.
4: <laughs> you know what's funny? I re- I'm reading this on the Kindle, right? So it's like I don't have like the visual of how many pages are left. And it gets to these epilogues. And I swear to God, I've spent about a week just reading <laughs> like epilogue after epilogue after epilogue. I'm like, when does this ever end? You there's uh, a
2: progress bar thing on the bottom of your Kindle page, right, Toby?
4: Right. But they don't always like it, doesn't always go to 100%, right? Some things end at like 94%, 95%. And uh, it does like the, there's like a coherent, cohesive like book. And then there's these, she tacks on these epilogues as, kind of things happen they put out new editions, and boy do they go on yeah it's
3: called the bonus extra uh
4: like direct <laughs> yeah, section yeah it is it is
3: other great things you have at uh, patreon is we have two really cool podcasts that people love one of them is called married with podcast it's so good in which rebecca and i a married couple dish out advice on marriage relationships parenting sex money death Actually, Why do you say
2: sex like that?
3: Because uh, everybody likes the sex talk. Yeah, because like sex. There's also a great podcast called Leave It to Bricker, in which Laura Bricker talks about sex. Talks. She <laughs> she investigates mysteries to her in her quaint AF town of Exeter, New Hampshire. Now, well, we recently did something really special where we have a mashup. We're doing a special crossover live edition. Uh, we had folks come on and listen to Lara talk in real time. Again, there's that term in real time about her uh, adventure exploring the dating apps.
1: Nice. And I'm still alive. So you are still that alive. That is a positive of my uh, investigation. Maybe not if you and... got
2: with that one guy.
3: Yeah, there's one guy. <laughs> we'll talk we about it podcast.
2: Save it for the podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
3: Also, I uh, want to remind you that you can get all sorts of neat stuff, information uh, with our newsletter. Go to crimewriterson.com and at the top, stick in your email address. We have people signing up every week. Not very many of you unsubscribing—that's always a good sign. Love that analytic, and it's good because we have so many people. We keep getting so many people that we keep getting bumped up to the next like tier for emails, like of uh, people that we have to what we have to pay for. We pay more, yeah, yeah. So, so please. It's okay. We're not asking you to unsubscribe. That's not going to help at all. No, no, Just keep showing up. We don't keep mind joining up, more. Yeah, just help. Just, we just want to be able to say, yeah, that was worth the investment because, uh, you know, you get all sorts of cool stuff. The crime writers on behind the scenes. You get to see the cat of the week. You get to see the tweet of the week. New crime writers on merch. All that sort of neat stuff. And a, and a summary of our reviews. Lastly, looking your podcast feeds for the latest episode of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast. We're looking at a classic episode of SVU. And this is the one with John Stamos, mm. where he keeps getting all of his... his uh, women. All of his women. His ladies. His ladies pregnant by putting pinholes in his condoms, and that's why Olivia Benson calls him a reproductive abuser. As charming as your loving fiancé is, he's a reproductive abuser. Excuse me, an abuser? You want babies, and you use women to make them. Oh, and you got that from a ripped condom. Our guest is Jillian Pensavale from True Crime Obsessed, and we had a really great discussion. That's a fun one.
2: All right, Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week?
3: Our Patreon patron saints are Jasmine Lammas and Sherry Andrews. Bless you.
2: Bless you, Jasmine. Bless you, Sherry. And bless you, everyone who muscles through the business section every week. We appreciate all of you, whether you support us on Patreon or not, but you really should because that's really fun back there. Kevin, can I go ahead and fade that music out right now?
3: Do it.
0: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
3: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
0: At Audi, expectations matter. It's why what's standard on every Audi SUV are features that exceed yours. How we get there matters. The Audi family of SUVs. Progress, you can feel.
2: All right, Laura Bricker, we've got a private investigator in this podcast with a great name. What do you think of our friend, Jimi Hendrix? I love Jimi Hendrix. I love that
1: this is somebody that themselves has been through the criminal justice system and while they are incarcerated, studies up, learns the law, and basically... Then goes out and starts doing this kind of work for others when they are able to. And, but anyway, what I like about this guy is I always like when you have somebody like this, it's a defense investigator who can sort of talk the talk. And so, because of their own past, they go into a situation and they are able to, you know, really gain information and trust from people out there that they are trying to connect with and get information from in a way that maybe somebody else might not be able to, but I just like how fired up Jimmy and his name. I mean, anytime we are listening to a podcast and we have a defense investigator,
3: it just makes me so happy. How about someone with a great name? Like blah, blah, blah,
2: (laughs) blah,
1: blah, blah,
3: blah, 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 blah,
2: blah, 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 blah. We need to talk about the cross racial identification aspect of this case because it obviously is the linchpin. That got Leon convicted to begin with. The two pieces of evidence they say that you know will get you convicted are your own confession and a, it's an eyewitness identification, right? And DNA, of course, which was this, the the subject of Suspect Season One. We, now, now we know that DNA is not the infallible piece of proof that we often think that it is. Um, but cross racial identification is an important topic and one that I think that we haven't talked about a ton on this podcast. But it is the linchpin here, and um, this woman made this identification, but clearly didn't make this identification at first and then did. And then we have other witnesses saying, no, it was this other guy with these pants with the three stripes down the side, not this guy. Toby, what do you think about this being the linchpin of this case and that this quote, you know, reliable witness from 150 feet away making this identification is the reason why this guy was sitting in prison for so long.
4: So I guess there's a bunch of things going on. The first of which is uh, you know, how reliable are you identifying anybody at that distance at night? And if I'm wearing my glasses, I still don't think I'm able to do that. So the the cross-racial identification issue uh, was interesting. Like you said, we haven't gone through it again, uh, but it sounds like the science is there, which kind of brings up the second thing, which is sort of this, confidence that the witness has that she's made the right id like the cross racial thing is one thing but just the distance and the and the time is is another thing so it just seems like on its face that would be a problem and then i guess the third thing is what is more reliable as as evidence and it seems to me it's a lot easier to describe and remember what a pair of pants especially something that is distinctive as like Adidas sweatpants because they have the three lines because that's the Adidas thing and you see it and that's like that's not a hard thing like you don't have to parse that out too much your brain is saying oh they're wearing Adidas sweatpants so sort of all these things put together it seems like it points in a pretty obvious direction and and how that did not win the day I guess is is really that's the problem that this podcast is looking at is like how can you pass up on something that seems pretty certain or or close to certain and go with something that just on the face of it seems like it has a whole bunch of questions.
3: The whole um, cross racial identification issue is very sticky. Uh, there, There are certainly those who think this doesn't exist. It's not a problem. They always get the right guy. Doesn't matter if he's black or not. I can pick him out. It's not an issue. No, you can't. No, you can't. (laughs) But there's also the feeling that the identification difficulty is a character issue. Like the witness has some sort of racial bias or they don't realize that they do. They think they can identify a person from a different race. Uh, But the reason that they don't is because they aren't as familiar with people from other races or they are actually secretly prejudiced or or whatever. And I think it really, the science is saying that it's it's more of our lizard brains here at work. The point being that it's not like you're good at this or there are people who are bad at it. It's just sort of built into the way our brains process this kind of, that's why, why it's not completely reliable. What in the end, what you don't want to have is like people who say like I'm really good at cross racial identification because I have this experience or whatever, and there are people who are bad at it because if they're like some people that are good at it, then the whole question about whether it's reliable or not just kind of gets all muddied, right?
2: I are you, are, you guys ever test yourself on this? Because I sometimes do. Like I sometimes will not the cross racial part, just the identification part. Like I will sometimes pass somebody. Oh, and then I'll be like, can I even th- like? A little bit, remember what that person in the grocery store that I saw 15 minutes ago looks like? No. Not in a million fucking years. I would challenge listeners to like, Do this occasionally. Don't like stare at somebody as if you're watching them commit a crime because that's not how it works, right? You see somebody commit a crime and usually it's like a fleeting thing because you don't know in advance that you're about to see them commit a crime, right? It's like you've passed something or you see something and you see somebody for a couple of seconds. It's like kind of like an interaction you have with a cashier at the grocery store or with somebody that you pass when you're walking or whatever. Tomorrow... When you're when you're having some sort of activity in the world, think about somebody you saw 15 minutes ago and try to imagine what they looked like in your head. It is it's not possible. I mean, it might be possible vaguely. He was white. He was tall. His truck was green, maybe, maybe blue. I don't fucking know. Like it is not possible. And the idea that this is like this is the gold standard of evidence is bananas
3: I saw a really great college study where they they had people they were testing this and they had people show up for uh, this study and they'd go to this big desk and they would check in and the person behind the desk would say okay just a second they would duck down all the way and a different person would pop up you know, like wearing the same color shirt and nobody uh, recognized that it was a different person no just because you're not thinking like that you know it's incredible
1: Um, When I was doing a lot more interviews working in like the defense world, whenever I had somebody that remembered something exactly, exactly as it happened, I was like, yeah, no, this is a bullshit story. (laughs) Uh, This is either witness tampering or somebody rehearsed this story ahead of time. So I, I agree, Rebecca, with what you just said.
2: So, Laura, we hear a Brady violation uncovered in real time. This is in real time in the podcast, not in the way we mean it. It's not live on. But we do hear Laura go interview with her team, a cop who worked the case, who admits on tape that he did not hand in his handwritten notes as part of the discovery process, because those were what? The draft? That's the uh, work, work product. product. <laughs> I don't know about my handwritten notes. Uh, that's work product
1: was the single most shocking thing he could have said. He had just acknowledged that a bunch of material implicating Joseph Webster had not been turned over to prosecutors and in turn to Leon's defense team. That wasn't just wrong. It was illegal and unconstitutional.
2: What did you think of that about that scene? Because one of the interesting parts about it is is that Lara actually sees him you know, when he calls them little ladies or ladies or whatever, she actually sees that as an advantage in the conversation because that means he's not taking them seriously and he's more likely to be relaxed or whatever. What did you think of that scene as it was unfolding? Because they didn't think they were getting anywhere. And then all of a sudden he just sort of drops this.
1: I, I guess you never know what you're going to get when you go into an interview. I mean, you know, obviously, so we have this, this loony guy, who the eyewitness identifies as a shooter. And and this is the information that's never turned over. And, you know, we know this guy has been fired from the sheriff's office because he had a drunk driving arrest. We know that they, they were like kind of surprised. I mean, I was surprised with how candid he was. And at one point they, I think, were like, we don't know if he really believed that we were lawyers, but he did this interview. He gathered the information used his notes to sort of lead him as he was later doing a longer interview. But the fact that he admitted that he didn't turn it over and then not only admits it, but like when they come back with this declaration for him to sign, like basically is like, yeah, I'll sign that. I mean, good for him for manning up. But I, I was I was surprised with the way that this did play out because it is Fucking maddening when you look at this case and how long this man was incarcerated when here is information that is just, I don't know, were we lazy? We didn't want to follow up on it. We didn't think people were gonna believe this, other these other witnesses. So we're just not gonna like go down that road. But holy shit, when you when you see the totality of what was not turned over and how that could have affected the outcome of this case. It's pretty amazing. But I just, I was just surprised. I, I just really couldn't believe that detective Jones actually like just sure, you know, who, that, that to me was He surprising.
2: didn't seem to think it was wrong. Right. Right.
3: Right. No. Cause it was probably, he, I mean, he probably was honestly told, yeah, don't, don't worry about your work product, your, your first notes. Not because he thought he was hiding something just was systemic. They're like, no, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Sure. It's 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 like read technique. This is what they get taught. Right. Yeah. So they don't realize the detriment to that. So they're like, oh, it's probably some prosecutor who didn't want to have to worry about Brady stuff. No, no, I'm just here to look for stuff that implicates my suspect, not exculpatory evidence. So why would I put that in a report? I felt like he didn't feel like, oh, cause he, sh- I don't want to say anything. He's just like, oh, I was supposed to do that. Oh, OK.
1: Well, and I think that's what's, you know, there's a difference between like, yeah, I take handwritten notes when I'm out doing an interview and then I type them into a report with all the information that I got on the interview. Now it's just in type that you can actually read as opposed to my messy handwriting. There's a difference between that and, oh, here's these other notes that have information that I just didn't memorialize anywhere else except in my own little brain and on my work product. But, you the, know other, what I mean? but the other notes were that somebody else did it. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying is that this, this is pork. like information that's like, what the fuck? The, Why the,
2: the other notes weren't that like he was eating a donut instead of like a muffin. The other notes were that somebody else fucking did it. I mean, if, it, but he's so clueless that he kept them. Like, if I,
1: like, rip them up, man. Like, no, you know what I mean. But like, I, I'm just astounded that he kept them like, no big deal. But actually, here's this other information that actually. Shows there was another side to this
2: case. You yeah? Know? Yeah. I mean this happens all the time. It happens all of the time. Honestly, it just does. It's like this is unturned over stuff. Um, it just it happens all the time. I'm not surprised by it at all. What I was surprised by were the number of times in the podcast where I heard Matt say, you know, this is this should be enough to get him out, right? And I'm like, no. Oh, Matt. No, no. no. Have you ever listened to any true crime podcast ever? No. like
3: Besides your own.
2: No. Not, it's never enough to get somebody out. <laughs> like, it's never enough. I was surprised to hear Lara call Leon after this and say, I'm going to get you out. I was like, don't make that promise, dude. <clears throat> don't make that promise. Then, of course, we all know what happens after that. Um, Yeah.
0: VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients.
4: As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop.
0: Learn more at meta.com/slash metaverse impact. Expectations matter. What do you expect from an SUV? Versatility? A range of sizes built to fit your life? A range of exteriors that all invite stairs? Or being able to take control of more than just the wheel? Expectations matter, but exceeding them matters more. How we get there matters. The Audi family of SUVs. Progress you can feel.
2: All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know should they check out Suspect: 5 Shots in the Dark. It's the 3rd season of Suspect from Campside Media Labrick. Or what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for season 3 of Suspect?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm going thumbs up with this. Um I mean, I know we we hear a lot of cases like this. Um in this case, we do have a resolution in this case that we are going to hear about. So for me, I always like that when we're not left hanging about where is this story going to go. We we learn where this story is going to go. Um, we've got a defense investigator in here. We've got a fired up defense attorney, Laura, who, nice um, first name, Laura. And we have a lot of access here because of the nature of the relationship between Matt and uh, Laura, the attorney in this case. So we really have pretty good information and a view into how this case is being investigated, how it's working. And I thought this was all really interesting. So thumbs
2: up. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Suspect Season 3?
4: Yeah, this is a really good podcast. You know, I, I think Matt Sherratt, uh will probably never make a bad podcast. There's a couple of like weird sort of own goals is what you would call them in, in soccer at the beginning where they kind of set expectations that it doesn't feel like they really meet in terms of the format. And I wish they just kind of hadn't said it because it doesn't, the fact that they don't meet those expectations isn't an issue except that they're set in the first place. So that's just kind of weird. I The only other thing I'll say about this, because again, this is, this is excellent. Uh, it is a very good, version of something that we've heard again and again and again which is there's somebody in prison for something they didn't do they're going to be in there for a really long time and it's clear that they're innocent and there's something some thing about our justice system that has caused them to be there so we're going to sort of interrogate that and then hopefully get this person out and i I just feel like we've listen to so many of these at this point and that while this is like a top-notch example of this it isn't something that we haven't heard before so i don't know if that's really a criticism as much as it is what it is and it's really good and if that's what you want to listen to it's here. But I think maybe the reason why they teased it with these little innovations was to make it seem like it was innovative uh, in a way that it doesn't end up being. So anyway, but it's a big thumbs up because it's a, it's a really good listen anyway.
3: Kevin Flynn. Yeah. I'm going to go thumbs up on this. Another good addition to the suspect catalog, this topic and where it goes is very different than either seasons one or two. And I appreciate what Laura and Toby both said, particularly about the wrongful conviction genre, I mean, it has been around since serial. This really is the thing that sort of kicked off the true crime podcast and the podcast listening revolution. But even when you get podcasts that, you know, sometimes bring something new to the wrongful conviction discussion, like like we got and just say you're sorry or the coldest case in Laramie or CSI on trial, it doesn't feel new or revolutionary. It just feels like, you know, another story about somebody who shouldn't be in jail and how the system is working to keep him in there when it should be working to get him out. So at some point, we really have to start hearing stuff in this industry that is either genuinely novel as opposed to more frustration porn. So I think that we get this here, but I'm starting to feel like, oh, how many more times are we going to hear a really interesting wrongful conviction story that doesn't sound like every other wrongful conviction story? So at least for now, this remains a thumbs up.
2: Yeah, some thumbs up for me, too. I share some of your frustrations because Suspect Season 1 was extremely fresh and novel, in my opinion. You know, it's one of my favorite podcasts of all time. It's fresh and novel because it tackles a topic that we hadn't heard before, which is the fallibility of DNA and the writing and just the, the construction of that season was so incredibly like different and, and taught and good. And, um, very, like, Agatha Christie-like in many ways. Um, In so far as, like, you actually get all the clues you need in the first episode of the podcast, which you realize later. And um, I love Matt's writing so, so much. And that is why this podcast, that's why this season is also good and gets a big thumbs up for me. Um, the The promise of this season was not particularly fulfilled. And when it was, I really enjoyed it. So I just wanted more of that. I wanted more... Inside the Laura Bazelon team, I wanted more hearing her work with her clinic students. I wanted more um, hearing her on the ground doing things, more of her righteous anger making phone calls or whatever the hell it is that she does scraping her Teflon pans. Um, So that should have been interwoven into the story more. And I think that um, doing so would have added the necessary tension and pressure and freshness that I felt listening to season one. That being said, this is a very, very strong podcast and it's much better than a lot of the podcasts we listen to. So I can't of course not give it a big thumbs up. So yes, thumbs up for me for suspect season three. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. A little something I like to call the crime of Crime of the week. A restaurant in Sichuan, China, is in trouble after the government pulled the plug on its food eating contest. Their patrons were competing to see who'd be the first to eat 108 spicy wonton dumplings. Winners could get a free meal and other prizes. But authorities wanted to know if the contest violates the laws against food waste. Apple pie and hot dog eating contests are common in the West, but they're sore subjects in China, especially to those who remember the famines of the 50s and 60s that killed 45 million people. A food waste law was passed in 2021 after a government crackdown on TikTokers posting videos of them binge eating. Panel, China said no to the dumpling eating contest. So what is the next food consumption championship going to be? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, I mean, can we just go straight back to old school ramen? I I could, because I'll be honest with you, Laura, I can't get enough of that shit. Mm. Yeah, I'm with you on that.
1: I just made some like actually ramen last week and uh, like fresh and it was pretty good. So
2: I'm going to go with that. No, I like the kind that comes out of the square package.
1: So oh, I like, like, that, too. What do you I like that too. What is the
2: next food consumption championship going to be in your life?
4: I don't know. I'm not really down with food eating contests. I, I think marshmallows would probably be a pretty punishing food to to consume mass quantities of.
2: What do you think, Kevin?
3: Uh, I think it should be maple syrup shots. So he's the first who can do like a hundred
4: of those.
1: You know who does that is Teddy King, the uh, bicycle rider who is from the Exeter area. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really?
4: But like as many as he possibly can.
1: Yeah, he started a whole company about, like, the power of maple syrup. I'll have to look that up, and I'll get you the correct information. Maybe it'll be a future Leave It to Bricker. Yeah. I think next
4: time
3: on uh, After Show, what we should do is the contest where we all eat 10 saltine crackers and see who's the first who can whistle.
2: (laughs) Oh, my God. That's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? (laughs) We
1: do have a cat of the week this week. Actually, it is a dog of the week this week. Yay, my favorite animal. You're, I know you're always so happy when you do. I do this for you. So this is Sally. Sally the dog is a gigantic dog, a Great Dane, a stray that was um, picked up at the local shelter. They thought she was six, um, and she weighed seventy five pounds when they got her. Up to one hundred and fourteen, and now has a little baby Great Dane named. Well, I don't know. It looks like a baby Great Dane Wilson. Very cute. So those dogs are like small ponies. I have to respect
2: them. So Sally, very nice. I can't even imagine a stray Great Dane. Can you imagine? <laughs> It'd be like watching yeah, like, a horse walk by your house. <laughs> know, it's like there's a there's a pony. <laughs> All right, Laura Booker, Folks want to reach out to you on social media with their pets. It can be any kind of pet to be cat of the week. How can they find you there? They can find me at Laura Bricker. And of course, you can email us at Crime on at Gmail. We get them there all the time. Toby Ball, folks want to reach you on social media. How can they find you?
4: At Toby NH on Twitter and at Toby Ball six oh three on Threads.
2: Live in the six oh three. What about you, Kevin? I'm a Kevin P Flynn. If you want to follow me anywhere, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. I maintain my handle the same on all the platforms. You can also follow the show everywhere at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible Crime Writers On Facebook group. Just go to a regular old Facebook page, look at the pinned post, and join the group. Get episodes early and ad free at Patreon.com/slash Partners. Crime media. You get the Crime Writers on After Show, Mary with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Livy Burdette. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement, where we also consult with private investigators from the agency of Jagger, Van Halen, and Springsteen. Party on, Garth! On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you... Later. Later.
3: No, you're just hot. You're just doing... Really hot. Well, then move the... because she's
2: talking about sex. Yeah, because yeah, like I had COVID.
3: There you go. Move the phone. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>